Peace, grace, this is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what has been planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal, and a time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain have you, the workers, from what their tool? I have seen that from the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for this time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds, and yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Today's second scripture reading comes to us from Genesis 1, 14. God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God had blessings to the readings of these words in every time and in every place. Would you pray with me? Creator God, Create in us in this time a revelation, a sign, a promise, good news of something true and holy and good for our lives and for the world. Speak God, your children are listening. May these words become alive once more for us and be living words of God today. Amen. I had just finished one of the best weeks of camp. I was a CYF conferencer, and I didn't expect for it to be one of the best weeks of camp. You see, I had come in with a chip on my shoulder because our region, our Oklahoma disciples, had changed the way that they were going to host camp when I was in 
high school. And so instead of offering a full schedule of camping at all three of our disciples' facilities, the choice was made that we were going to change the regional camping schedule to fit the realities of today and of the future to come, instead of trying to keep alive the glories of 1970s church camp. And that hurt, because my beloved Texoma Christian camp, which hosted the southern churches, was going to be hit the hardest. The region decided that they would host no camps there at all, because of consistently low numbers and consistently low amenities. Instead, they were going to host Triple Camp at Cross Point, a beautiful Methodist campground seven miles away on Lake Texoma. It stung a little, to say the least. And so many of those Southern Disciples churches, of which I belong, said thanks, but no thanks. And they began what I affectionately called Renegade Camp, uh, which is still going strong. Uh, you know, over a decade later, it's where Travis Eli and I just took six little ones to elementary school camp this past week. But when I was in high school... I also went to Renegade Camp, but I was a member of the Regional Youth Council like Kyston and Eli are now, so I thought it was my duty to also go to Regional Camp. And so I showed up to Cross Point, but I didn't have a bell on. I wasn't happy at all. But the high ropes course was pretty cool. And so were the canoes and the accompanying worship that we got to enjoy by paddling out in dusk across the waters. And even whenever we capsized on the way coming back in the dark, that was still fun. <laughs> and it was nice to meet new people and to see some old faces too, like Gene Spillman, who I didn't know at the time had served this congregation 50 years ago. But that staple around Discipledom in Oklahoma, he had directed at least three or four of the events that I was a youth at. And so, chip on my shoulder and all, despite my grumpiness, it was still a great week after all. And in our last small group, our little closing circle, because everything is sentimental when you're at church camp, my counselor, Jeff Brewster, told us that, you know, this group will never exist again. Even if all of you, every same person, would come back and stand in this exact spot, this group could never exist again because we would come back as different people. Time and life and experiences would pass and we would change and we wouldn't really be the same, would we? And so even if this group were to somehow reconfigure and everybody was available and everyone came back and we stood right here, it would not be the same. This group will never exist again. This group filled with awkward teenagers and then 20-something counselors and old traditions and new places and new traditions that would transcend place of those fast and easy friendships and that kind of love that only seems to exist at summer camp. It had its special time that week. And then, as it inevitably does, it ended.
after we got through the Ephesians debacle, Eli just read us one of the most popular scriptures from the Bible in Ecclesiastes. Thank you, Eli, for being such a good sport. And I think there's a misconception that if something is popular, then it is necessarily either less important or it warrants a special suspicion because nobody can like something this well and it be good for you, like candy or junk food. And so it's the case that whenever I read Ecclesiastes 3, my ears perk up a little bit because it does seem to be so well-loved. And I have to remind myself, perhaps this is true. It deserves special suspicion. But then I remember that the parable of the Good Samaritan is also very popular. And it has one of the hardest lessons in scripture, which is about a compassion that works beyond the borders of prejudice and convenience. So I suspect there are many reasons that people like the poem that comes to us from Ecclesiastes 3. But perhaps it is so popular because it tells us precisely what we don't want to hear. Perhaps it is popular because it seems to be telling us the other story in the world that's always trying to sell us something that makes us feel good like candy and junk food. Perhaps Ecclesiastes 3 is so popular because it's the sugar-free option. Ecclesiastes is what we would call a wisdom text. It can be baffling and complex and often out of step with what we would expect the Bible to sound like or to say. I mean, who wants to be told there's a time to kill alongside a time to heal? I mean, healing sounds nice. We talk about that quite a bit. But killing? Who wants more violence? What kind of world is that? Wisdom texts go beyond our comfort zones. They tell us uncomfortable truths. We're journeying together through this worship series, Creation Speaks. We're bringing a little bit of church camp back home. We're finding God in nature. In the famous creation poem from Genesis 1, which I read earlier, we have added a fourth day to creation. Spoiler alert, there'll be seven. And we talk about the sun and the moon. The day which brings about time. Time is a slippery notion for human beings. It doesn't pass evenly. There are some moments that just fly by, and then there are some moments that drag on forever. Moments like being in bodily pain. One of the worst parts about feeling pain is that it feels infinite, it is all-consuming, and it seems as if it will never end. As someone once told me, life is a lot like a royal roll of toilet paper. In the beginning of your life, it feels like it's going to last forever, and the turns come slow, and it doesn't seem to take much out of you. But by the time you've worked down into the roll, it just goes faster and faster and disappears, and when you really need it at the end, you are scrounging and saving. Last fall... On this theme of life doesn't move evenly. Last fall, I celebrated my 10,000th day. You can look it up. It'll happen sometime when you're 27. Um, by nature, 20,000 will then happen sometime around 52. I think my dad is celebrating that in and around. Uh, 30,000 happens when you're approximately 
uh, 79. And so if I'm so if I'm lucky, I'll maybe get 30,000. And as I celebrated my 10,000th day, incidentally working down at Texoma Christian Camp, gutting a manager's house, I was thinking about all the full days that I had. But not for very long. I started thinking about then all the wasted days, the days spent on the couch or laboring on things that I didn't care about or the work that I thought was going to lead somewhere but ended up nowhere. On my 10,000th day, what I really was tempted to do was recommit that I wanted to make every day count, every day matter, that I didn't want the end of the toilet roll to come up and surprise me. But the reality is that I don't know of a life that's really worth living where you're always on, where it is always about efficiency and about ladder climbing. I don't know what life would be worth, I don't know if life could be worth living unless it had excess time, beautiful excess time, when we get to luxuriate with nothing on the to-do list, nothing that will be done today. And so for us 21st century people, it's a hard thing to hold together. That we are so aware that time is so precious, even as we live in light of scientific advancements, which gives us some of the most assured time in human life. But knowing that some of it needs to be spent differently should even be well wasted. Our poetic ancestors in the faith tell us that on the fourth day of creation, God didn't just create days and time. More importantly, God created seasons. Something different than just the rolling of one day to the next, morning to evening, Sunday to Monday. Seasons help us to orient and to name those periods and qualities of life. Not just the time of day, but the times when we plant or we pluck. Those times when we are breaking things down and those times when we are building things up. Those seasons when we weep and those seasons when we laugh. One of the deep joys of life is that God didn't simply create our world where every day ends up being the same, where every day is equally fruitful, equally busy, and literally, we see that in the changing of the seasons. Here in the middle of the continent, we have four seasons, more or less. Dog days of summer, with days in the field or in the pool with juicy watermelon and hot winds that blow, even though they don't do a thing for you. Which eventually will turn to fall. Although, it never comes quick enough when the heat index is 102. But they do come. And those fall days bring apple cider and jack-o'-lanterns and pile of leaves and sweater weather. And then we get Christmas trees and snowfalls and lots of night. And eventually buds of trees and birdsong and promises of new life again. Thank God it isn't all the same. And incidentally, one cannot work the same way throughout all of those seasons. Farmers help teach us that. In the life of this church, the language of seasons to describe seasons of work has really taken hold. 
And here's what I mean. I have several of you who will tell me, this is my season to be very involved. Or, this is my season to step back and focus on my family. Or, this is the season to enjoy the time that my spouse and I have. Or to enjoy my grandkids. And that's a fine way to use the language of seasons. There are some seasons which are defined mostly by labor and toil and others by rest and relaxation. We certainly have company in understanding seasons this way. After all, Ecclesiastes 3.10 stated, I have seen the busyness that God has given everyone to be busy with. But in using the language of season to mean times of rest and times of work, means that we unintentionally limit our notion of that's what seasons can be. And it gets reduced to either work or rest. Indeed, I have made that mistake as we have moved through this sermon of only talking about work and rest. Because using that language of season to only talk about our relationship to work, whether that is work in the family, work at church, work for money, really shortchanges the depth of what seasons can mean to us. In Ecclesiastes 3, the writer goes past verse 10 and says in verse 11 that God has made everything suitable for its time. And as it would happen in this use of the word time, the emphasis is less on that linear time that moves A to B and B to C, but much more this idea of seasons, periods, qualities of time. When we have a richer idea of seasons that is beyond just work and rest, we can better understand the poem of contradictions that is in Ecclesiastes 3. And I'll tell you, I don't believe that the poem here gives us a blank check to destroy and kill or hate. Rather, it gives us a twofold promise. That life and creation will have a fullness to it, and that God will be there even in its fullness. God will still be present and active, making everything suitable for its time, even in those periods that are, defi- that are uh, defined by war and hate and death. This twofold promise of seasons is one that means the bad seasons won't last forever. And that God will not abandon us to them. It means that we can take those times of sadness and anger and tragedy. And rest assured that they will only be seasons. It means that the grief that we feel today won't always feel so hopeless. It means that the pain which doesn't have words to describe it will lessen eventually. It means that every storm runs out of rain. It is a season. And in those seasons, it will be God that will hand us the umbrella or it will be God who stands in the rain with us. But it also means that the opposite will be true too. That those moments of bliss and of peace and of time that flies by is also a season. The good parts won't last forever either. So we invest and enjoy those seasons when we can. 
our bodies will decay. The losses will continue to happen. And the times of easy living, when we get them, won't last forever. But again, the promise is that God is here, making everything full in its time. Making everything suitable in its time. And so, my friends, what will we do with the realities of the ups and the downs, the seasons of the good and the bad? I think for me, the takeaway is we remember what Jeff told me at camp so long ago. That just as this group will never be the same again, so it was that we won't be this church again. Even if we all show up on Sunday, August 1st, and sit in the same pews, we won't be the same people again. So we trust that the God who is present and makes everything suitable in its time is making us suitable too. And so we give thanks. We give thanks to the God who gave us this day or this season in the good times. And we give thanks to God because God hasn't given us or given us up or given up on us when the seasons are rough. But most of all, beyond just remembering that it won't happen again, more than giving thanks to God, we remember that it is all gift. From rising moon to setting sun and round again, creation is speaking and telling us that time is always a gift. Because this won't happen again. These people, this moment, this place... So let's enjoy it when we can, work when we should, rest when we are able, riding out the high times, mourning in the low. The promise of God is that there is a fullness of time, even as it goes through up and down. But in the midst of that fullness of time is the God who loves us, will be present and active, moving with us throughout the seasons. That's good news. Amen. This sermon podcast is a ministry of First Christian Church, El Reno, Oklahoma. It is preached about 85% of the time by senior minister Colton Lott, about 10% of the time by associate minister Tara Dew, and about 5% of the time from a beloved guest. If you check the math and we're wrong, don't worry about it. This podcast is produced by communications coordinator Rachel Carlson, and the instrumentalization you hear is by Chris Prather, our bell choir director, percussionist, and composer in residence. Christian community is made up by the individuals who show up each week, and so while this has been preached and produced by some, it is the work of many. So whether you show up with your body or with your enthusiasm, with your dollars, with your prayers or your love. Thank you for making the body of Christ real and felt and known. Go and be a blessing this day and always, friends. Amen.